everyone. Welcome to another episode of Orange Juice Optional. I am sitting here and about to introduce my good friend, Suzanne, but I'm worried she might be a little grumpy today. <laughs> so hi, Suzanne. Hey, Michelle. And that's like two, that is that like two in a row? Because wasn't I grumpy on the last podcast we did? I think we decided you were jet lagged on that podcast. <laughs> I think that's very kind of you to say that. I was grumpy. Even my daughter said later in the day, she goes, God, mom, what is your problem? And then today, I know that we've had some more technical difficulties. And so that is not put you in a very good mood. No. And these were serious because, yeah, my internet hasn't been working for the last two or three days, but it's been that frustrating. It works and then it doesn't, and then it works and then it doesn't. And so we were trying to get set up here and my internet seemed to be working, but I was getting that unresponsive. This page is unresponsive. It's like, so, but I'm, I am shaking it off. I'm good. You're going to shake it off and then I'm going to break some news to you. Oh, no. What? Yeah. I'm really worried you're going to have a huge case of FOMO. Mm, I probably will because that's right up my alley. Because when I get done recording this podcast with you, I'm going to dinner with Rob and your husband, Jeff, and you're not going to be there. (laughs) Oh, I know. I'm having serious FOMO since you've been in Alaska, frankly, because, and that's all it is. It's FOMO. It's nothing else because I have no desire to go to Alaska, but I do have a desire to be with my people, to see my people. And that does make the heart really happy to be around those people who just bring joy. So I get that. And I, I'm not going to rub it in too much that you won't be at dinner tonight. I'm actually, when I think about dinner tonight, a little bit disappointed in myself because this didn't occur to me until right before we started recording, but I need to be a better wing woman to you. Oh, what does that mean? That means had I been thinking about it, I would have gone to the pet store today and gotten a fake spider to put in Jeff's salad tonight. (laughs) Right? I should have done that. Is there still time? Can you still do that? I don't know. It's going to be cutting it close. And here's the other part of it that we're going to my favorite restaurant tonight. So I don't want too big of a scene in a place that knows me so well. But maybe I can get one and bring it to Vegas and we can do it on Tuesday night at dinner. Yes, I think that's a really good idea. And see how he reacts. Right. And On the same note, I just want to say that this morning when I opened my front door, I looked down and there was a cicada-like bug at my front door. And I was thinking, oh my God, did this come with me from the East Coast? Because it's like, it's got to be way too hot to have cicada in Arizona. But it was definitely a cicada. And I'm like, what is this? And why is it in Arizona when it's 118 degrees? So I hope it didn't come home in one of my suitcases or something. Great. Now you're going to be responsible for an outbreak in Arizona. I know. It's just like, geez. Wow. You're just spreading joy everywhere you go. I know. I do what I can. Well, here's something that spread a little joy into my life today. And it's the only reason I can say that I'm really happy to be 50 because this morning, Rob and I were watching the news and I am not kidding you. 
they were having a debate about something that um, the World Health Organization is that who it was? Yeah, it's world because I saw the um, photo, the screenshot you took of the story you were listening to, and I said I cannot wait to hear the rest of this story. Right. Well, we're in the kitchen. I look over, or actually, Rob directs my attention. He's like, "Wow, take a look at that," and it said that the World Health Organization is actually trying to ban alcohol for women between the ages of 18 and 50 years old. And I will tell you this before anything else, I've never been so glad to be 50 in my life (laughs) until that moment. But okay, is this childbearing years? Is that the reasoning behind it? This is the this is the stupidest thing I have ever seen. But I only saw the screenshot. So I need background. I need to find out what what is their logic? Well, I thought maybe this was a prank. I thought maybe we were getting punked or something. And so I did look and no, it's actually a thing. And it is, they did say women in childbearing years. So A, I mean, think of all the women between 18 and 50 and all the women who get pregnant, like restricting people who aren't even pregnant and it's sexism. Well, yeah. And I know that you and I, you know, we have vowed we would never go political during this podcast. But in my mind, how can we not how can we not talk about this stupid, stupid idea that the World Health Organization has? That like 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 how can anyone think this is a good idea? I mean I have no idea. Who is I really don't who is the World Health Organization? Who is sitting on that organization board? I mean who are they? It's like they must all be men. They must all be men or control freaks or something because, I mean, the women have the right to vote, but they're not going to have a right to decide if they want to have a glass of alcohol. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to go too political on this. I just thought this was so stupid that it's Mm -hmm. beyond political and beyond. I mean, I can't not mention this because (laughs) I'm frankly so offended by it. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I mean, really, yes. truly one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. And how are you going to enforce it? Are you going to go to a woman who's like 49 and say, oh, sorry, you can't have a drink now for the next three months because even though you've been doing it the past 30 yeah. years or yeah. so, not quite 30 years, um, yeah. yeah, you can't have another one for yeah. three months. Yeah, I I'm actually am going to have to tune in and see I have to look for that story. I have to actually listen to the commentary that goes with it. Yeah, they're probably all saying it's stupid also. Well, of course they I mean, who in their right mind would think there's any sense to it whatsoever? Yeah. It's like, boy, talk about putting me in a bad mood. (laughs) I know. Can you even imagine? I, I, again, I've never been so happy to be 50 in my life, which has only been like a month that I've been 50, not even, but yeah. 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 Oh, and then today, yeah, this is a kicker. I got in my rightful own age, my first documentation or letter from ARP. I was going to say AARP, didn't do. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I wish I could have blamed it on Rob again and his four years older than me, but nope. It's all mine, rightfully yep. mine, rightfully earned. Uh-huh. Yep. It's a rite of passage. Get your AARP card. <laughs> yeah. Now can I burn it? But I want the discount. So I probably should 
just embrace it. Embrace it. I will embrace it, I guess, if I have to. (sighs) Well, I hope that you guys have fun at dinner tonight while I'm probably going to be eating a bowl of popcorn and drinking a glass of wine. (laughs) Well, both of those don't sound unappealing to me. But at least, you know, I'll have some company tonight. Hopefully they don't talk about work the whole time or hunting. Yeah. Well, Jeff's two favorite subjects. (laughs) I thought it was you (laughs) and Logan. I'm sure. Oh, boy. Have you met my husband? (laughs) I have. I have. Okay. Yeah. That would be like saying, yeah, Rob's two favorite subjects is Michelle and Michelle. Right. I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. Yeah. We should get on with the topic, which I'm so glad that we have been talking about being 50 years old, because that kind of does tie into our topic today, which is something maybe you would want to introduce. Well, yes. Although I don't have a formal way to introduce it, but what I want to talk about is success after 50, because Well, of course, I was very inspired by Phil Mickelson's win at the golf tournament several weeks ago, because first of all, he's left-handed and my husband is left-handed. So Phil Mickelson has always been, you know, one of our favorite golfers. And I think because of his age in that sport, he was dismissed as he's just gotten too old to ever win. And the fact that he won that tournament just inspired me. Because it's like, yes, because no one thought he could do it. But then when he started to do it, everyone was pulling for him. And uh, it was one of those just inspirational things to watch that you just like, uh, I feel like I'm a part of this. And and the man's over 50 years old. Right. And you definitely want to cheer him on for so many reasons. I mean, I know Tom Brady wasn't 50 when he won his last Super Bowl, but that's how they were billing the Super Bowl is the young blood against the old blood. And everybody was counting Tom Brady out because of his advanced age. I think he's like 42. But in that sport, it's a lot of years in that sport. But they did make it about age. Right. And I think we probably recognize that or pay attention to that more because we're that age or older because we've already experienced that age discrimination, for lack of a better word. So I think we live in a society and we live in a culture that wants to dismiss an older age as irrelevant. And I think we have a lot of examples today of people who have done just the opposite, who have become the mega successful people that they are starting after the age of 50. Although Phil Mickelson has had a very successful career, this was a huge um, boost for 50 plus people. And I think we can probably not even tie it just to the age of 50. I mean, even going back to late 30s, early 40s, I mean, you've got work experience behind you, you know, kind of what has worked and what hasn't worked. And then you get this idea. And when that sparks, It just lights up this path that you're a trailblazer in or something to introduce to the world, something they've never seen, a concept that they're not aware of. So, yeah, I think you really have two branches here. You have the branch of people who have been doing something for a long time and they continue to succeed at it despite their old age. And then other people, on the other hand, that have started an idea a little later in life and then that's taking off too. 
Exactly. And I want to go back to the comment you said that it's not necessarily people over 50 because the same weekend that Phil Mickelson won his golf tournament, Chelsea Memel, I don't know if I'm, I'm probably chainsawing her name, but she's 32 years old and she's a gymnast and a mother of two. And she was also considered past her prime. She was, had been a, a fairly successful gymnast. And then she won the all around medal in gymnastics the same weekend. And she's 32 years old. And again, her age did not define her. <laughs> she was still able to succeed amongst a crowd of much younger competitors. And um, she pulled it out. And if you look at it and you were to break it down, this continues success and that thing that keeps you moving over the years and pushing you forward in your game. What do you think the qualities are that contribute to that? Obviously, dedication and self-control or discipline. And we've talked about this in other episodes too. I think there is some good to hanging on to that mental image of yourself as 25. You know that when you mentally think of yourself as 25 or 30 years old, and then you pass a mirror and you see your aging self and you go, ah, you know, there's an old person in the mirror looking back at my 25-year-old self. And I just think that has a huge part of it is that you still have to maintain your mental youth to say, why can't I do this? Why can't I succeed? Right. So really going back to that mind over matter, it's where your mental fortitude is over your physical, you, you push your physical self because mentally you're so strong or so focused. You know, I, I talk to my husband about this a lot and an example I can give, and it's really not an example of age, but, and maybe I've shared it on the podcast before, but many years ago, Rob and I and the four boys were playing a game of phase 10. Have I shared this on the podcast? I don't think so, but I'll tell you if I remember it. Of course, okay. I, my age, my memory isn't as good as it used to be. <laughs> right. Well, I'll just continue then. And if people have heard it, they can fast forward this part. <laughs> But we were sitting at the table playing face 10 with the four boys and Rob's two boys, Jimmy and Kyle, getting this huge fight over the cards and chairs are being pushed back and they are wrestling to the ground. Now, Kyle is older than Jimmy, but what Jimmy hadn't realized is he was now bigger than Kyle and probably could have taken Kyle down, not because Kyle's not strong, just because Jimmy had the size, but Kyle had the mind about it his little brother was not taking him down. And so Kyle did pin Jimmy to the floor, even though Jimmy's size was physically bigger. So what I hear you saying from that story is pride has a lot to do with it, that we are proud people and we're not willing to give in to something that hurts our pride. Yeah. Pride, determination, just that mental, yeah, that mental uh, pushing you forward. It is so strong. It really, truly cannot be dismissed in any way, shape or form. Right. And I'm going to talk about my own example, which I know that I have talked about before, but you know, you might as well listen to it again because it's my favorite story. Because, And I was just because it's about you. Because, no, it's, yeah, because it's about me. And wasn't the last episode yay for Suzanne? So now this episode is going to be yay for Suzanne. That should have been the name of our podcast. <laughs> Just yay for Suzanne. 
Yeah, instead of orange juice optional, yeah. just yay for Suzanne. Because then every day you would come to the podcast happy and excited. I know, because it's like, we it get about to, Suzanne. I know, we get to talk about me. Woohoo. But you know that when I, after my kids all went to college, and actually I think they were all done with college, and I was having one of those moments, well, I was having more than a moment, I was having a phase in my life where it's like, okay, now what do I do? Because my career was raising my children. And I always knew that it was a limited career, limited time opportunity, because once they hit a certain age, they no longer need their mom. And now I've probably told you that story on the podcast is, you know, I was getting my hair cut one day and the woman cutting my hair, she was new. And so she was just making chit chat and she said, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And she goes, oh, you are. How old are your children? <laughs> and I said, 28, 25, and 21. I've never heard this story. That is hilarious. <laughs> and I, when I said it out loud, I still laugh at it because it's like, okay, I have a 28, 25, and 22-year-old. And I'm still caught referring to myself as a stay-at-home mom. It's like, for the love of God, Suzanne, get a life. You have got to move on. But then I went through this phase in my life. It's like, now what am I going to do? Because I have no identity. And then I was feeling like, oh, no, I'm too old. I'm too old to, to create a new identity. And it's like, now what am I going to do? It was a struggle. I understand the struggle and I have written down my struggle here. So after we yay for Suzanne, well, yay for Michelle, because it's not quite as exciting. But the other night, well, I guess I'll just start by saying, I think our kids always need us. And yes, it's that point you come to in discovering, hey, maybe there are some things they don't share with me. Maybe there are some things they don't want to tell me. I'm not their first go-to person anymore. And you know what? When I was having my birthday dinner with three of the four boys, they're sitting there and they obviously had this inside joke about Colton, something that Colton had done or an experience he had had that was so super funny that they're all laughing at the table about it, except Rob, myself and my parents, because we're not in the know. And it was the first time it ever hit me that there are things that happened at my house that I wasn't a part of the conversation or I didn't know the funny story. And I know that sounds super stupid <laughs> because they get away with a lot that we probably don't know about and don't want to know about. But in this instance, it really hit me like, wow, these kids are grown up and they have lives of their own and they share stories that they don't want us to be part of. Well, and they share stories that we weren't a part of. No, I was part of it. I was part oh. of it. They're like, no, you were involved, Michelle, but we can't tell you what it is. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's kind of one of those <laughs> crisis moments, I would say. Yes. So not only did I turn 50, but I realized that they don't share everything with me. And sometimes I am the butt of their joke. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think I'm the butt of my children's jokes more times than I ever want to admit. So have I totally thrown us off course sharing that story? Can we get back to <laughs> we, it, do we, you think? Yeah, I think we can get back to it. I think we're okay. Okay. But I guess with that story, though, it's like, where do we go from here? It's like, okay, so now our kids are grown, our kids are adults, they have their own lives, they, and then what? That's what I struggled with for a lot of years. 
And I completely get that. It's about reinventing your image of yourself because for so long, your identity was Eric's mom, Jeff's wife, so-and-so's sister. I, I get that too. I was, you know, Rob's wife and who was I beyond that? And then that's when I kind of had to start exploring and I've had a lot of misses, but you hit it like right on the mark. You knew what you wanted to do. Well, no, or at I least- didn't. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it took me a lot of years to try to figure that out. Or it felt like a lot of years. It probably wasn't a lot of years. But yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And yeah, there were some years where I really went through a huge identity crisis. And it's like, there's got to be more to me than just what I've done up till now. And hopefully I have a few more things in me, which I do. And I did. But I had an aha moment. I literally woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, well, of course, this is what I'm going to do. And then I pushed forward. But I wrote down a couple things about kind of the reality check of doing that or creating something. And I suppose this happens to everyone when they are venturing out into a new a new field or a new identity that there are reality checks. And when you're over the age of 50 and you're having a reality check, probably the the number one thing is that little voice inside of you that says, that gives you all the reasons why you can't do it. You can't because you're too old. You can't because you don't have the knowledge. You can't because you're not good enough. And I think that's the hardest part about doing anything is powering through that and saying, yes, you are good enough. Yes, you do have the knowledge. No, you're not too old. You can do these things. Right. It's that ego. It's that nasty little naggy bitch that sits there and wants to try and talk you out of it. Yeah. Keep you in what is familiar rather than letting you explore what is unknown. It's safer there. Exactly. It's safer there. And it's risky. And that feeling of, I don't want to make a fool of myself. I don't want to fail. What if I fail doing this? And then you just have to pick yourself up, brush yourself off and do it again and keep moving. But that's one reality check you have when, especially I think when you feel like you're too old, is that reality of check. It's too late for me. I should have done this 20 years ago. And boy, I said that to myself a lot. Just think of what I could have done if I had done this, started this 20 years ago. Oh, think of how successful this could have been if I had just been smart enough to do this 20 years ago. Well, I don't think that's possible because I don't think 20 years ago, I didn't know then what I know now. I didn't know myself well enough then to know that this is what I wanted to do. But cat, well, what else can we talk about as far as the next chapter in your life? Well, I think the next chapter in my life looks pretty bright. I'm sure I'll have some grandbabies coming up and lots of changes going on. Uh, The one area that worries, well, a lot of areas worry me, but one that I feel really holds me back in my own personal success is technology. Because I, I, honest to God, cannot keep up with all these changes, all these different social platforms, which I'm 50. I'm not even supposed to be on some of these social things. So I don't. I really just do Facebook and Instagram. But technology, if it works, is great. If it doesn't work, then I'm stuck and I'm in a bad mood and I want to throw my computer out the window. Which I almost did today because 
I'm the exact same way. And there is nothing more frustrating than not knowing what to do to fix technology. When you're having problems, it's like you're basically screwed because you don't know what to do. Right. And unless you have a 20 something or a teenager, or maybe even, I mean, those two are the ones I deal with the most. They always can help me if I have a problem there. And it's so quick. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I am my own worst enemy here. And that goes back to, because when I have to ask my kids to help me with something, when they hit a level of frustration with me because I can't figure it out, that's very frustrating for me because I know that I should be able to figure this out. And that just contributes to my frustration because it's one of those things where it's like, why can't I figure this out without asking my kids for help? And they're they're usually very patient with me. It's just sometimes they hit that level of frustration, which just is a trigger for me because it's like, darn it, I should know this. I should know how to do this. Yeah, I've experienced that quite often myself. And then, you know, I even think about beyond our generation, our parents' generation, when they come to us thinking that we have all the technology answers and then we're like, no, go talk to grandkids. We don't know. I don't know. I know. And yeah, mm. There's so much I could say there, but I won't. Yeah, I just feel like I can get hacked at every turn and that I'm just not aware enough, although I really try to stay on top of it. So that's a limit to me, I think, moving forward. I I do think my lack of technology understanding is a burden or a weight or a check mark against me. And then sometimes maybe my way of thinking because... I try to stay open-minded, but I get really set in my ways to my routine of doing things too. And so to change that up at 50 years old, that's kind of hard too. So that might get in my way a little bit. Okay. So that actually triggers a question for me. I'll ask the question specifically to my industry, but this does present a really good point about doing something when you're our age and we're technically challenged. And For example, I have a client, I'm doing some space planning for her. Now, I learned how to do space planning years ago, and I love to do it by hand. I took an AutoCAD class, which is the industry standard for electronically doing space planning. And I took that class, and it was an exercise in frustration for me because it was so mathematical, it was so technical. And it was technology at its finest. And I competed with girls who, you know, are 30 who pick it up immediately and they just run with it. But there's some art to being able to do it by hand as well and doing it the old school way. But it slows you down because it's not nearly as fast. Right. And people who are expecting that 3D image too, or that um, different way of looking things, because that's what they see on all these home improvement shows and stuff. They might look at it as being antiquated or not as professional or good or, you know, something like that, which is certainly not the case. It's just a different way to present the information, a way that makes sense to you. Right. And I think fortunately in the area of Arizona that we live in, There are a lot of people who are like me, who are my age or older, 
who understand and actually can understand the way I do it, maybe even a little better than looking at it on a computer. Although if you're a visual person, it's so fun to see what visual interpretation of what your room is eventually going to look like. But, you know, rather than a drawing on a on a piece of, you know, vellum paper. But yeah, it, it's a hurdle. It's definitely a hurdle. So how do you address it? Are you just, you know, say this is how I do it and yep. it works for me. That's, so yeah, that's, that's all you can do. I love that, that you embrace it. Yeah, well, it well, because I don't want to tackle AutoCAD. I don't want to that to become my day every day is trying to figure it out on the computer when I can sit down and it's like singing music if I'm doing it on a piece of paper at a drafting board. You know, that's like singing and I love it and I enjoy it. So I do tell my clients right off the bat, I'm old school. This is how I do it. If you're looking for AutoCAD, if you're looking for that 3D vision, you know, you're coming to the wrong person. And I just had the most wonderful vision of you sitting there doing what brings your heart so much joy and just flowing with it. And it felt to me like Amadeus or, you know, someone who just gets lost in that moment. So thank you for sharing that with me. That actually was very, very inspiring the way you described that. Oh, well, thank you for seeing it that way. I don't compare myself to Amadeus. However, (laughs) I'm not that good, but it still brings me great joy to sit down at a drafting table and do my work that way. And that's that's what I was talking about, just the joy of it, getting lost in the moment. And for you at that time, that's your masterpiece. That's what you're working on. This is what you're going to share with the world. And it gets to live on, you know, beyond too. So that's really cool. Something that starts in your, your mind gets to come out and live beyond you in the 3D world. It's really cool. I'm getting sentimental and sappy, I think. <laughs> I guess that also comes with getting older. I guess so. Uh, No, I've always been that way. The things you're going to learn now that you're 50. I know. I'm already learning. I'm like my bones creak or my knees creak when I walk down the stairs. What the hell? (laughs) It's true. I guess mine have been creaking for so long that I forgot that they actually creak when I do that. Well, my house in Arizona doesn't have stairs, so I don't really go up and down them on a regular basis. But the one in Alaska does. And so the other day... I was walking down the stairs. I'm like, oh my gosh, are those my knees? And sure enough, they're my knees. I'm like, Rob, come listen to this. <laughs> it was bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The woes that we have. So Suzanne, I was thinking like we've been talking about reinventing ourselves or stepping into something that fills our joy later in life. How has your family responded to it? Like your kids, your husband, your loved ones, your friends. I know you've had sacrifices that you've had to make, like some travel or, you know, some events you just couldn't attend because you had this commitment. How has that all played into your life as you knew it? Now your life merged with? Really good question. I'm full of them, Suzanne. I'm full of good questions. You are. That's why I like you. Because And you asked me questions so I can talk about myself. Yay for Suzanne. <laughs> another yay for Suzanne. Yay for Suzanne. Yeah. <laughs> um, because there's the inner struggle that I have with myself where I still want to do everything that I did before. And there's that personal life balance with my new career life balance, 
And I suppose any age has to deal with that, but it was never an issue until I decided to start this late in life career that I have. And I am constantly trying to figure out how long I can be gone. Am I going to miss anything? Do I want to miss something? You know, do I want to miss a trip? Do I want to cut a trip short? Do I have to cut a trip short right now? Would I rather be with my grandson in Anchorage, Alaska, or be here in Arizona where it's 118 degrees, just a little side note, working with my store? I want to be both places. I want to be with my grandson, but I also want to be at my store. So yeah, there's definitely that give and take balance. How has my family dealt with it? I think my family has been incredibly supportive of it, and I think There's some level of good for you, mom. You know, this is great. I do, however, occasionally feel like they still consider this just a hobby, just a passing thing that, and at one point, like not too long ago, but I did have to say, I do have a job. I do have to work. And my family is not used to that. They're not used to hearing me say, I have a job. I have to work. Because they spent their entire childhoods never hearing me say that. Right. You just being available for what they needed in that time and that moment. Right. And I immersed myself in their lives, you know, booster club president, PTSA president. No, I did. a little high there, Suzanne. Couldn't (laughs) you have been vice president or secretary or treasurer or something like that? Well, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, you wanted the ultimate gavel in your hand. You wanted to make those decisions. I I am a little bit of a control freak. I, I admit that. But it's like, why not? I didn't, I was the perfect person to do it because I didn't have other conflicts in my life. I had time. I always told people that when my kids were growing up, you know, my best asset is my time because I don't have to juggle my job, my career with my children's schedule. So let's use my time and immerse myself in my children's lives, which I was very proud of doing when I did it. But when that went away, yeah, then I was left with an awful lot of empty time. But I think the mental attitude was hard to accept that I was actually doing something that had responsibility. You know what I mean? That this isn't just a hobby that I can just put away when I don't feel like doing it. Right. And, you know, lucky for the schools, too, that you took on those roles because you had kids who continuous age, there probably wasn't a gap in that high school where you weren't there to be in that role. So they had that continuing presence of you being there and organizing everything else and having that experience. <laughs> I'm sure they just loved that. I'm sure they thought that was like, woohoo, mom's here again. It's like, <laughs> I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about the school, the other parents, the teachers, the principals. You got things done, I'm sure, because everybody knew you and knew your position on the board. Yeah, but it is what it is. (laughs) So what I hear you saying with this new change in your life, you have to be more strategic in your choices. You have to balance the pros and the cons of every decision you made more so than you used to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You just have to. Right. There's no, no way around it. But I mean, the reward at the end of the day is you can have both. Right. You know, I think of all those people with younger kids who are balancing home life in a career. It is hard. It's very hard. And 
I, I did that myself for many years until there was that time I didn't have to anymore and I could devote just being a stay-at-home mom. But for many years I worked and I had to do the balance and very difficult and it is sacrifices. So they're just continuing now in a different way. Yep. Different way. Different way. Well, I'm trying to think about my kids' reaction to the different things that I do. And mine instantly goes to a Zumba class that I was teaching and Colton and Eva. They're like, we'll come to one of your Zumba classes. And so I'm like, sure. And so I'm teaching this class and getting ready to do a song. I actually think a a friend of mine was teaching the class and I was just doing a song or two in that class, maybe. And um, it's the first time Colton ever saw me teach. So I step up there to do my song and you just can hear him from the back going, you're my mom. How can you wear pants that look like that on you? Oh my gosh, this is so disturbing. (laughs) And it was just so funny. Everybody's cracking up around him. And he made it really a whole lot of fun just because he's like hitting his head and smacking it like, I can't watch you move like that. You're my mom. (laughs) It was hilarious. That is so funny. So like Colton. Yeah. Yeah. And then the blog, you know, the kids have been really good about reading it, but then critiquing me on mom, you're not remembering that event just right. And I'm thinking, wait, yeah, I am. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I take issue with that because you're remembering it the way you remember it. And it's like, who says their memory is right and your memory is wrong? It's like they're looking at it from a different perspective. Exactly. Yeah. So your memory is your memory. And I always think if you're the adult remembering things, you definitely have a different perspective on how things happened than if you're the child remembering the memory. Yes. See what I'm saying? Is that too confusing? Is that too um, vague? No, no, it's not too vague. No, I I get what you're saying that my point of view is different than their point of view, that I'm looking at it from the eyes of a mom experiencing it. And they're looking at it as the eyes of a child going through it. Right. And I actually remember a time when I was with my siblings, we were having dinner and we were all remembering something. I think it was about one of our dogs. And we all had a very individualized memory of an event. I actually think the dog was run over, was hit by a car and run over. And I think that was our recollection. That was the story we were all remembering. But we were all together and they're like, I have four siblings, so all five of us. And we all had a very different memory of that event. So then we said, well, we should ask mom about it. And we went to my mom and my mom was like, none of you are right. That's not what happened. She had a totally different perspective of what happened to our dog. And it's just interesting because same event, six different memories. What is the name of that movie? There was a movie in which... They were all somewhere and someone got assassinated or almost got assassinated. And it told the story from each person's different point of view. It was really cool, but it's like what you're talking about, where everybody had just a slightly different angle. And so what they could bring to the true thing that happened was different. It was really a cool movie. I wish I could remember that. I know. I wish you could remember it too, because I don't don't know which movie you're thinking of, but it's pretty interesting to think about that. 
Right. Even if you go to a show like Love Actually, where people are having their different storylines, but they're intersecting at different points and the main characters become side characters. I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm going too deep here, but even thinking about (laughs) Bridgerton, the next season coming up, which I can't wait, uh, the main characters from season one will be background characters in season two. Right. (laughs) Which I'm not sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that, but I think our conversation has run its course. <laughs> I'm just saying, well, well, we've been taught, we've, we've had very good conversation, but we have really gotten off track again, because I always digress into something else. And we are, we have been talking for quite a while. So we are at the end of our time anyway. And I have to go get ready for dinner because oh. I have a dinner date tonight. Yes, you do. Oh, yeah. And I'm getting hungry. I have to go make my popcorn. Yeah. Well, I do like popcorn. Well, I hope for Colton, I'm just going to shout this out because I did it the last one. I did tell a few more stories about him today. So I hope that um, neglect he was feeling has been alleviated and that he does realize he brings much joy and laughter to my life. That's a good thing to say. And you know what I have to add to that is I was so impressed with how he he was one of the groomsmen at Jimmy's wedding. And oh, my. OK, God. I got to stop you right there because he's going to listen to this. He's like, I wasn't a groomsman. I was a co-best man. OK, <laughs> OK. On. Well, I wasn't sure because I didn't pay close enough attention, but he had that show running like a well-oiled machine every time I turned around, he was doing something to make sure everyone was taken care of. Everyone was where they were supposed to be. Everyone had what they needed the entire weekend. He was incredible. He, oh, such an incredible man. Can I just share one quick story? Yes, please do. So Colton was in charge of putting together the bachelor party and he um, was so stressed about it, but he wanted to do a cigar bar and for, or not a cigar bar. He wanted to go to a cigar bar. That's what Jimmy wanted to do. So for that, he invited Rob and Jimmy's stepdad and one of Rob's friends. And then Rob and one of his friends went th- with the boys to a steak dinner. And this is where it gets so sweet. Colton wanted to do it so right that the menu comes out. Colton wrote down everything ordered. And as it came to the table, he checked it off to make sure that he got it and everybody was happy. Yeah. I mean, he just does that so well. He does. And I wasn't at the bachelor party, but Rob was telling the story and he had so much pride in his heart just saying, you would have been so impressed, Michelle. Like he was the man in charge that night. And I'm like, yes. (laughs) Yeah. And he, he did. He did a phenomenal job. I want him to know that that was not overlooked, that people noticed, because I know that more than I know I noticed, but I know other people noticed, too, that his effort was amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much. And now he gets to hear someone else say it rather than just his mom. So oh, yeah. he will appreciate that very much. Only if he listens to this. Oh, he will. I'll, he especially will listen to this one when I'm like, you're part of the story here on the next one all the way through so yeah absolutely yeah we all have that little bit of ego that wants to hear about ourselves right yeah yay right yay Yay, Suzanne yay for Suzanne episode two 
Well, I guess with all that shared, I'm going to go to dinner. And all I can say to you right now is cheers. Cheers. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Orange Juice Optional. What many of you wouldn't know is that this podcast has been a shared vision of ours for many years. And knowing what we know now, I can't believe we've waited so long to make our vision a reality. Right? I really think the hesitation on our part came from all the unknowns of podcasting. The biggest unknown being the toughest one. Where do we begin? That's when we found Podigy and Riley. And you know, if we had Godsend music, I'd cue it right now. Riley is a know-everything-about-podcasting kind of guy, and the best part for us was that he was so nice and down-to-earth about everything. And by everything, I mean he answered so many questions, he gave so much reassurance, and he offered advice on things we hadn't even considered. Initially, Podigy helped us choose our recording equipment, find our music, create our artwork, and set up our templates for recording. And seriously, how many Zoom calls did setting up the templates take? Probably too many to count because we are a technology challenge. But the best part of each one of those calls was the reassuring voice on the other end. I love that about Podigy. Now that our podcast setup is complete and things are running a bit smoother, knock on wood, Podigy is going to edit each upcoming episode, do our show notes, and get our show out there for the listeners. Their help takes so much off our plate that all we really need to worry about is our friendship, next week's topic, and if it's an orange juice needed kind of day. So if you're interested in podcasting, please don't let the unknown stop you. Please check out Riley at podigy.co. That's P-O-D-I-G-Y dot C-O. They have packages available based on each show's individual needs. Thanks again, Podigy. Our next toast is for you. Cheers. Cheers.